favorites. Um, sometimes redundant with these topics for giving to the petition. But today the main focus from all of the meetings from last evening all the way through today is one thing, which is the identity of God, which is our identity, which is love. So we've spoken already through the apostles' fast. We've spoken about how servants prepare and go out for their ministry, about the need for Christians to pray. We meditate on how to pray the Our Father. We've spoken about our duties to one another and about certain virtues. But today, all of the readings focus on love. And we, wrote, we read about it a lot because it is what our religion is all about. And as we said before, love only has two limits. One real one and one practical one. The real one is that love is limited only by one thing, which is, which is righteousness. Right? Is that you can't do something wrong and say that I'm doing it for love. Love is self-denial. So I can't say I'm going to shoplift because it would make someone I know very happy. Right? If it's intrinsically wrong and it's not righteous, then it's not, it's not an option. But the practical limitation of love is my ability, right? which isn't a right one. It isn't, it isn't something that, that we should have, but this is what the struggle in spiritual life is for, is my ability to give up my will, my ability to say no to myself or someone else, because this is what love is, is love is self-denial. And that's an even more important thing to dwell on because our Lord said about the end of times that because unrighteousness will abound, right, because iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold, right? And so we're seeing that there's a lot less love, that we become more self-centered. So we need really to understand these readings, compare them to how we are taught to live our lives today and how we live even if we weren't taught this way. And our Lord made a comparison himself. In the evening's gospel, we read our Lord saying, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. Um, and then he says in today's readings, You have heard that it was said, You should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And our Lord, when he says, You have heard, is basically telling them, I'm fully aware that society is functioning differently. Right? His, his adding on of this, this little part of just saying, you have heard is to acknowledge, I know that what I'm about to say to you doesn't sound right on a social level, right? Because on a social level, it was, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. So he's saying, I understand that, but this is not what I'm saying to you. And all the corrections that we will see are totally crazy from a worldly, secular perspective. The world at the time of Christ was preaching, was preaching what we do today. As we said, scratch your back, I scratch, you scratch my back, whatever it is, every man for himself, basically. If you're not in my way, I'm going to stop you. To each his own, we've all heard these different expressions. These are the things that we say, and these are the things that we're taught from a social perspective. But the Lord turns this thinking upside down uh, by saying literally the exact opposite. Rather than encouraging people to demand or to take their rights, he actively encourages, encourages the opposite. He is saying, give. Give in the most ridiculous way possible. If someone wants to do evil toward you, he's saying, let him. Don't resist him. In fact, give him the other cheek to slap. If someone is suing you unjustly, let him have what he wants and more. If someone asks you to walk with him but you don't want to, not only walk what he asked, but walk double. 
give, give to whoever asks you. And this is obviously extremely, extremely difficult. Christianity is not an easy religion, right? We talk about it very flowery, um, and we, we talk about like it's just give me a hug. This isn't an easy thing to practice. And that's why we're saying that there's two limits. The, the real one is none, it's just only doing what's right. The second one is whether or not I'm able and whether or not I'm pushing myself to be able to. But our Lord isn't asking us to do something that he didn't himself do. He created us when he didn't have to create. He loved us when we rejected and continued to reject him. As he said in one of the readings today, he rains water upon the righteous and the unrighteous. He's not even selective um, in who he cares for. He provides for beasts and animals. He provides for atheists and he provides for theists. Right? He doesn't limit his care. He gives us even when we neglect him or ignore him. He cares for us even when we don't care for him. How many of us truly revolve our lives around God? How many of us are truly theocentric? How many of us are making demands of God in a really horrible way? And I would dare to say that probably all of us do. Most of us even have an image of Christianity that if I'm a Christian, nothing bad should ever happen to me. Yet these passages make it extremely clear that that's, that that's not the case. He says, when they do this to you, meaning they will do this to you. But our Lord practices what he preaches and has never failed to do so. And now he's calling us to rise above our humanity, to put on his godly image, the image in which we were created. So he gives us a few instructions that we'll meditate on together and ask yourself how you do or do not live this so that we can all make changes to our lives. First is he says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And many people wonder how it's possible to love someone who hates them. And the confusion I think usually arises because people often confuse liking someone or something or having affection for someone with love. They're not the same thing. Love, as we will see through all these instructions we've said many times, love is self-denial. It's not an emotion, right? It's not just how you feel about something. It's to say that I have the ability or possibly even the right to do something for me, for myself. But I will deny that right or I will deny my will for the sake of someone or something else. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, for example, the Samaritan, in the literal sense, not just symbolically, didn't like the Jew. Right? Like that's the whole point of the story, is that the Samaritans and the Jews on principle hate one another. They were enemies by mere nature of, of their identi- identities, by virtue of their race. But the Samaritan didn't stop, get to know the Jew, decide if he likes him, right? And then after evaluating whether he liked him, said, well, I think I like you enough to take you to the inn to be cared for. He denied himself. He performed an act that was against his will, against his ability, out of his way, and didn't have to do it for the sake of someone else. This was how he loved his enemy. Irrespective of whether he liked the Jew, he denied his rights, quote-unquote, of enmity, and took him and cared for him. This is how we love our enemies. It is to deny ourselves and to work for that other person, no matter how vile I might find that person. And our Lord gives us practical examples of how to do that, which we will, we will go through. First, do good to those who hate you. You know that your boss hates you, for example, for example at work. Actively be kind to him or her. If you know that someone of another religion hates your guts, don't scowl in his or her face. 
Don't go give them a piece of your mind, right? Show them kindness. Show them what the gospel is asking us to do. But we don't even have to look at so extreme of examples, as often we accuse people that are close to us of hating us or not preferring us. Often we make these accusations that our spouses, our children, our in-laws, our co-servants, our servants at church. A Christian is called to do good to those who are being evil to us rather than to retaliate. St. Macarius the Great, before becoming a monk, was a priest in a small village. And a young couple fell in love and they fell into sin. They weren't married and the young woman um, got pregnant. So she was petrified that she was going to be blamed or possibly killed um, with the culture of the, of the time for having a child um, out, of, out of wedlock. And she was worried about what would happen also to the guy that she had fallen in love with. So she decided that the best way to deal with it was to accuse St. Macarius um, of being the one who impregnated her, the priest of the village. What a hateful act, right? What an extremely selfish, totally opposite of self-denying act that she that she did. If loving is to deny myself for something, then hating is to choose myself over someone else. And this is what she did. She was okay with absolutely ruining a person's life and reputation to cover up her wrong. Saint Macarius didn't argue, he didn't defend, he didn't justify himself, he didn't go out and try and prove his innocence. Instead, he loved them. So he worked for that child and accepted all sorts of abuse from the townsfolk when they would insult him and put him down and treat him like he was the most despicable priest that existed. And everyone had their words for him about why they think that he didn't deserve to be alive or why he should be ashamed of himself or shouldn't be a priest. Of course, in in this specific case, which doesn't always happen, the Lord justified him while he was alive. Sometimes the justification doesn't happen until after, where the woman was not able to deliver a safe delivery um, and they were worried about her health and it was prolonged until she screamed out that the reason for her pain was that she had lied about St. Macarius. And St. Macarius, when he found out that they knew and they came to praise him, did the opposite of what most of us would do instead of being like, well, it's good that you finally figured it out. Here's what you owe me um, and I'm going to sue you because you defamed me and you've done all these things. He skipped town and left. and entered a monastery and became the great St. Macarius that that we learn from till this day. Nothing your boss or your family member does is as bad as what happened to St. Macarius. Okay, so when we pity ourselves for the small things that we go through, it's really nothing compared to what these greats did before us. Then our Lord says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone wishes the worst on you, wish the best for them, right? Pray for them. Right? Have positive goals and ask God to give them blessing. Praying for them obviously is supposed to be a, a positive prayer. Right? It's not pray for them saying, Lord, take it away from them and do this and that to them. Right? Pray for their success. Ask that the person be an intercessor even for you in your prayer. Right? Of saying, Lord, through the prayers of that person that I'm so upset with, hear my prayer because I have no right to stand before you and ask when I have enmity with my brother. Right? When we say, Um, as we forgive those who trespass against us. But how many times we try and justify doing wrong to others by saying that the other person did something to me, or by saying that the person might do something wrong to me. Leave justice 
to God. He will be way more effective at taking justice for us than we will for ourselves. Because our justice will never be perfect. We are so obsessed with our dignity, our honor, our rights, and we forget that the Lord himself will take our rights. There's a story actually in the life of King David. There's a certain nation of people, the Gibeonites, that had signed a truce with the Israelites. And the Lord didn't like this truce. It was when they were conquering lands um, while planning to, to receive the promised land. And a group of, of these leaders of the Gibeonites were petrified of, of the, the Israelites that they would be demolished. So they went against their own people and they formed a pact with the Israelites saying, we're going to let you through our lands, we'll give you whatever you want, just do not destroy us. That's our request. And God didn't like that. But they made this truce. Um, and because they made the truce, they made, a, they made a vow, a solemn promise. The Lord expected the Israelites to keep the promise even though he didn't like the promise that was made. So fast forward 400 years later to the time of King David, while Saul was, was the active king, they broke that truce. And they went and subjected the Gibeonites to slavery. Um, they took tribute from them and they demolished most of their city. And so God came and gave them a harsh famine, a really, really bad famine. This is 400 years after the promise was made, right? That the people forgot that such a promise existed, but God did not forget that a promise existed. And he struck the Israelites with famine, even though the Gibeonites were not followers of him. They were not people who worshipped him, and they weren't the kindest of people. And the Lord said, no, you must respect them. Our Lord will take justice even for the non-believer, right? It is not up to us to assume um, the right way to take justice. We need to be just in our dealings, but we ought never to exact our own justice or to take revenge. We often err, right? We often wrongly victimize people in our process of justice. Um, and if we do, God will deal with justice not against those who wronged us only, but even against us who wrongly deal justice, right? If I've been unjust, then I'm going to see our Lord's justice. Love is to go higher than this. It's to deny my right to justice or retaliation. And again, our Lord did this himself during his own murder, right? As they were murdering our Lord, it wasn't a, a passive thing. It was an active act of murder. They heard, hurled insults at him. They called for his death. They were sarcastic with him. They mocked him, right? They didn't treat him with any kind of dignity or respect. They were, they were treating him worse than an animal. And what did our Lord do to them during that very moment? He prayed for them. Father, forgive them. Right? He didn't say, oh, you don't know what's coming to you guys. Right? If you only knew what I was about to do, then you wouldn't say this. He didn't defend. He prayed for them even in the middle of, of this atrocity. To love is to deny, to deny your right to curse back instead of offering the perfection of blessing others and wishing well. If you have a spirit of wishing well for others, you'll be more content because you'll be happy that others are content, not just yourself. Deny your right to retaliate. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer also the other cheek. If someone takes away your cloak, do not refuse your cloak also. The verb in this latter part of what our Lord said is take, right? Suggesting that somebody is taking it from you forcefully not because you, you intrinsically, generously gave it to the person. And so here our Lord is calling us again not to exact revenge, 
and asking us, do you, do you look to get back at people who wrong you or who take things from you? If someone speaks behind your back, do you go out of your way to expose them, to go and tell the world that you know, what you know about them? If your spouse treats you badly, do you retaliate with an equal measure of violence or do you give up your rights? If someone sues you, do you use your rights to sue them back or do you detach yourself and let them take what they want? The natural law says, take your rights. The divine law says, it is better to lay them down. Do you have a spirit of, well, this person treated me in such and such a way, so I will go and treat them like that? Or do you have a spirit of acceptance, of allowing yourself to be mistreated in the name of Christ? If you are doing so, then you are in the image and likeness of God. But if you are not, then you are in the same position as a striker. You have the same mentality as the person who's striking you. You want only your rights, meaning you live only for yourself, meaning that your love is very limited. Deny your right to revenge and avenge yourself. Then our Lord takes it further and says, give to anyone who asks you, and if someone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Lend, expecting nothing back. Now he says, forget even what was taken from you by force. Okay, like that's, that's his own class. But even when you lend something out, don't demand it back. This one is, is really hard um, for me, especially with my books. But if someone asks you for something, let them have it and don't think about it. Get rid of the concept of yours and mine, is what he's saying. And deny your right to own property, for the earth is the Lord's. St. Moses the Strong, who we, we celebrate today, he was converted by the monk giving him right, what he was trying to take by force. Right? St. Moses was, was at a monastery to rob the monastery, not because he was asking the divine prayers of these ascetics. And he was very, very shocked to find that the monk, instead of yelling and screaming at him or putting up a fight, was helping him load the camel. Right? Where he's like, oh, let me help you. You can't carry it all at once. You can take this and this and this. Do you need this? And, and St. Moses was, was totally mind-blown, right? Of like, what on earth is going on here? Why do you know who I am? Right? What is it that you're doing? How are you happily giving me all this stuff? And the answer was very simple for, for the monk. It was, this is the gospel. This is, this is why we're here. And even that generosity isn't just from that many centuries ago. I've seen it with the monks so many times in my visits to the monastery, to the point that I had to stop saying that I liked something. Because if I said that a monk, oh wow, that's a beautiful cross, it was in my pocket within 10 minutes. If I told them they had a nice sabra, um, a stole, it was in my suitcase within, within a day or two. If I told them I liked anything, one time I told the monk he had nice frames for his glasses, and he pushed out his glasses and then went and had glasses made for me out of it without, without me knowing. This is the generosity that, of, of those who have nothing to give but are ready to give. And all of a sudden I hadn't even asked yet. What an impact that that had on me. Not because of getting gifts, right? But because it was so contrary to my selfishness, right? My answer to being like, oh, you can order them at such and such website. Um, you just use your credit card. It would not have been here, take it um, and have it. Deny your right to own things, to have property. See things as equally belonging to your neighbor. Whoever compels you to walk with you one mile, walk two. Someone is asking you to give them time and attention. If you can do it, 
do it and do it generously. If a person has asked you to go for a walk, it's because he needs to talk or he needs companionship. He needs something. So if you can give it, let him have it. Maybe he needs just to fuck to let things out. Let him. How many times have you wished for a listening ear and not found one? Right? So why not give it to the person who's coming to you and asking? Are you selective with who you spend your time with? And if yes, why? If the answer is a selfish one, self-reflect and fix it. Perhaps it's someone at work you ignore, someone in the church or community. Perhaps it's a family member. Maybe it's the beggar on the street. I once met a beggar at a 7-Eleven in the States who stopped me and spoke to me for 40 minutes in, in the most incoherent way. And he had told me that he was a Christian at the beginning of the conversation. And 40 minutes in, I told him, listen, man, like, I'm sorry, I actually do need to go now. And he thanked me for my time and told me, I just want you to know, I'm not actually a Christian, I'm an atheist, but I told you that I was a Christian because I figured if I told you I was a Christian and you're a priest, that you'd probably be willing to stand and talk to me. I just wanted to talk, right? But look at how in need this person was to converse, that he was pretending to be a believer just for the sake of somebody listening to him talk for 40 minutes. That's how lonely and isolated this person had come to feel. People shouldn't need to lie to you to get your attention, right? It should be easy enough for them to say, hey, I could use some time, can you help? Deny your right to your own time and let even your time, your ears and your compassion not be for yourself but for others. Instead, our Lord gives positive instructions about things that weren't even our right, but he promises us, promises us certain things if we follow. He says, be merciful, set free, don't judge, don't condemn. I wonder how many people hearing the list, instead of thinking of themselves and what wrongs that they make, were thinking of another person who does one of the things wrong and says, you know, that person does that. But that would be judging. So ask yourself, are you a taker or are you a giver? Are you someone who's putting yourself in the position of judge? Are you the one putting yourself in the position of who deserves mercy, condemnation, or freedom? If you are, then you're doing the opposite of what our Lord has instructed. He says actively for us to be merciful, not to judge or condemn, and to have a mindset of getting everyone freedom, not holding anyone captive. Our Lord is saying deny yourself so much and be inhumanly generous, not just in your material things, but in the psychological and spiritual. Have mercy on everyone. If someone wrongs you, forgive them right away. You don't wait. Don't judge people. Don't decide that someone is evil or good, but treat everyone as a child of God. Do not condemn anyone and tell people that they're doomed or they've ruined their lives. That's not for you to do that. Actively refrain from these. There's a famous story of a monk who on his deathbed, um, they're like, oh, Abba, are you afraid the moment of death comes upon you and all these things? And he's like, no, I'm actually, I'm, I'm pretty solid. Um, I'm, I'm going to heaven. And they thought it would be kharraf, that he was um, going crazy on his deathbed, being like, oh, what are you saying? No, 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 don't lose it all in your last minute with arrogance. He's like, no, I'm pretty confident I'm going to heaven. And they're like, how can you say this? And he's like, because I never judged. Right? Our Lord promised, judge not, and you shall not be judged. I have made it my business never to judge a single person. And I'm confident in the Lord's promise that I myself will not be, will not be judged. I don't want to dwell on this longer, take too much more of your time. 
But here is the exercise for those who are willing. I'm not anyone's father of confession to give out, but an exercise you could consider doing with your father of confession's advice, which is to think of anyone who you are upset with right now for something you feel that they did to you, a family member or a friend, anyone, and forgive them. And don't just forgive them in your head, go to them, okay, not just mentally, and say that you forgive. Do this act of mercy no matter whether this person was right or wrong, entitled or not entitled, forgive. This is the way of the gospel. Put yourself on check, like majorly. Every day, keep a log of how many times you got angry or how many times you had any kind of negativity towards anyone or anything, and ask yourself if you denied your rights in it, or if you are upset because you are demanding your rights. Because what you will hopefully find is that a person who is full of love has no demands. A person who has no demands is not a liberated person. They don't need anything. People who have no demands and have no needs are the happiest people alive. They don't care about what's owed to them. They don't care about anything. They are not bound to anyone or anything. They're happy wherever you place them because they have zero expectations. These are the most peaceful on the earth. These are the ones who find mercy with God, who don't find His judgment, and as our Lord promised, with the same measure that you give will be given back and with abundance. May the Lord grant us back the measure that we measure. To Him be glory now and forever and unto the age of all ages. Amen. Oh, nay.